Welcome to Hey Jim Jim. Hey Sam, good to be back. Back in my father's outfit, two episodes in one day. Yes. Uh, yeah, if you're watching this on Spotify or if you get it on iTunes, you can uh, look in the show notes and we have a link where you can send in questions for Jim. And we do have a couple of questions, Jim, that you wanted to respond to. So I will let you take the floor and tell us what the questions were and give us your uh, wise answers. Yeah. So the, the, one of the questions that's come in, which is very topical and a challenging situation to deal with is how to manage patients with previous history of psychosis and, or bipolar type one, and how, how do we approach these sort of patients and, and is cannabis prescribing appropriate in these individuals? So this is a challenging, challenging situation because the THC, the main one of the main cannabinoids within the cannabis plant that provides a lot of its therapeutic benefit, but is also the potentially intoxicating component of cannabis can increase positive symptoms around schizophrenia. And for those who are susceptible to uh, developing schizophrenia, so they have a, a, a first degree relative with, with schizophrenia, or they've been developing prodromal symptoms around schizophrenia with this sort of history, then there is the potential for, for inappropriate use of THC to actually induce those first experiences of, of psychosis. So we, we really need to be, be cautious uh, in, in this population. But this does not mean that using THC at, at a population level actually is causal for developing schizo schizophrenia. So it would only happen in those who are highly susceptible to developing schizophrenia or who have had a past, past psych psychotic episode where THC is likely going to in induce those, those sort of changes. You go, Sam, you go, Sam, you were going to ask a poignant question. Get me back on track. When you have a patient who presents with an underlying condition that where you don't think this is a patient that is suitable for cannabis, mm -hmm. how do you approach that with them in a way that can help them understand and not make them just go, screw you, Dr. Jim or Dr. whomever, I'll just go and get it on the black market. Is that yeah. a difficult conversation to have on? It, look, it is. It's a challenging conversation, and I don't think we should just be saying no because we have cannabis, which is a complex medicine that has hundreds of different active components. So, certain parts of the plant may not be appropriate for that patient because of the increased risk around worsening their their symptoms. And firstly, we're in a business where we want to do no harm to 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 our patients, but the there are other cannabinoids within the cannabis plant that can be highly valuable in these patients. So it's not a case of just saying no, it's a case of saying that's not appropriate, but this actually can be really beneficial for you. And my belief really is that the endocannabinoid system is likely heavily involved in the development of some of these conditions. So the reason I believe that many people who are getting prodromal sort of symptoms leading up to developing schizophrenia or a psychotic type illness, will turn to cannabis and other drugs to try and self-medicate around a lot of the symptoms they're experiencing, which might be a lot of other anxiety, depression, social withdrawal, difficulty with sleep, these types of things, and not feeling connected to their, their community. So they use these drugs and they often find them beneficial for a short period of time. But like with everything around some of these, you know, what have been illicit, but potentially powerful medications is that the more you use doesn't make them, doesn't make them more effective. I think probably what happens with a lot of these individuals is that they are finding cannabis 
beneficial for certain elements of their condition. And therefore they use more of it and more of it without any appropriate guidance. And they're dysregulating their already vulnerable endocannabinoid system. And that's likely what triggers these psychotic episodes or the development in that sort of predisposed individual. So I always take it back to the endocannabinoid system. Like I do with everything with cannabis, it's what in this individual is what we're doing, supporting and upregulating and tonifying their body's own internal regulatory mechanisms. And if the answer is yes, then I think you're going on the right track. If the answer is probably not, then, you know, got to really consider what, what you're doing. So THC, because of its direct stimulation of these cannabinoid receptors, it Look, there may be a case as evidence develops that microdosing very small amounts of THC in these susceptible individuals may actually be beneficial. But in this case, what we do know is that overuse or misuse of THC can lead to a worsening of outcomes. So we probably really need to be super cautious if we're going to be employing medicines containing in this this population. Is there any evidence or in your clinical experience, are patients more likely to take too much or abuse it? If they are smoking it versus if they are ingesting it. Yes. They're much more likely to overuse it if they're smoking it because of the immediate effects and that activation of those reward pathways that, that come with that immediate immediacy around it and they get higher, higher blood levels and it, you know, it can be more of a euphoric sort of type experience for it related to that, but then it wears off. And so therefore people need to use, use more frequently to maintain the perceived benefit. So yes, inhaled cannabis, inhaled high concentration THC cannabis is going to be the most risky. Low dose oral THC may be less risky and, and therefore it's always important to look at that risk benefit in regards to that patient and how, what they're presenting. But in general, you're going to be seriously cautious around using THC in a susceptible individual, but then we come back to CBD and CBD doesn't directly stimulate those cannabinoid receptors. So therefore it's less likely to, if overused, it's not going to cause dysregulation of that endocannabinoid system. It supports it indirectly. It, it inhibits FAR, which is the enzyme that breaks down anandamide. So by doing that, it actually increases the amount of circulating cannabinoids within the body in a positive way, but it also has these other effects on other neurotransmitters that can be quite helpful. And it does regulate dopamine through D2 dopamine agonism at high doses. And this is how a lot of conventional antipsychotics work as, as well. And so there was a study, I can't remember exactly when it was, whether I think it's 2017, 2019, when they looked at high dose CBD versus amisulpride, which is a second generation antipsychotic for those with established schizophrenia diagnoses. And they showed that the benefit of CBD for the positive symptoms. So that's the hallucinations, uh, delusions, these types of things was equivalent. So it worked as well as these antipsychotics, but it was much better tolerated and it actually was better for those negative symptoms around schizophrenia, which is the withdrawal, the cognitive sort of difficulties that sort of come, the cognitive decline, the depression and other elements. So it helped there, but just looking at being able to reduce the side effects. The biggest issue with antipsychotics is that they reduce someone's life expectancy by over 20 years. The average life expectancy of someone using antipsychotics from a young age is 56 or something like that. And so that's huge. That's huge. Anything we could do to try and minimize the use of those medications long-term would be massive. 
So high dose CBD, it could be an option for these patients to actually regulate their, their brain chemistry in a positive way without those sort of side effects. So it's not that cannabis is inappropriate. It's high concentration inhaled THC is likely in, inappropriate. But saying that there are clinicians in other parts of the world who are using inhaled THC to help manage the side effects related to a lot of these other conventional medications as, as well. And used appropriately in someone who is not at risk of developing schizophrenia, but already has established schizophrenia and a whole range of a lot of morbidity around poorly controlled, around their poorly controlled mental health, there may be a role for a little bit of inhaled THC. But once again, like I said, that's got to be ultra cautious and you want to do that with the consent of the treating psychiatrist in a, in a team type environment, but CBD in these susceptible individuals can be highly beneficial. And there's likely a range of other non-intoxicating cannabinoids that would likely be beneficial in these individuals as, as well. So we've spoken specifically there around, around skits and things like schizoaffective disorder and, and, and other sort of psychotic illnesses. Bipolar is a slightly different, is a, is a different beast. They're, they're different conditions and there's different levels of bipolar, bipolar two versus bipolar one. Bipolar two is where someone doesn't become floridly manic and doesn't lead to those ultra grandiose thoughts and delusions of grandeur and breaks from reality. Whereas bipolar two is they still get elevated symptoms and elevated mood without that significant, the more significant sort of effects of mania, but they're both at risk of getting depression and cyclic sort of episodes of quite deep depression. One problem with using THC once again, in those with bipolar is it can lead to Inappropriate use of THC can lead to more rapid cycling of these episodes and so more rapid cycling of, of mania. And it can lead to less medication compliance of their conventional medications because they feel like they don't need it. And therefore they get more, more likely to have manic episodes because of that. If you're using THC in a targeted way to say, regulate someone's sleep in the, in using low and appropriate doses to help someone get good quality restorative sleep then that is likely going to be of benefit because a lot of these more manic episodes will come on when someone's sleep patterns become dysregulated, they're not getting any rest, and it has this sequential sort of snowballing effect. Where So a little bit of THC in those individuals can be really beneficial as long as you're using it in a targeted way. You don't want to be using, let's say, really cerebral, euphoric, classical sativa type sort of strains around in the evening for those with bipolar and a lot of people with bipolar are quite creative individuals, artists and actors and musicians. And so they like those effects related to cannabis because it helps them in their creative pursuits. It, it, it will make them more likely to have worsening of their mental health. But once again, all of those other non-intoxicating cannabinoids that aren't THC are likely going to be really beneficial and really useful in, in this population. So it's not that cannabis is inappropriate. It's that inappropriate use of THC in the wrong setting is likely going to make things worse, but you don't have to say no. You just say, this is how we're going to use it. It's going to be very specific. It's going to be very targeted. We're going to have intention around our use. We're going to be looking at functional goals. We need to safety net to make sure that we have the support of the, the rest of the treating team. And, and we could do regular reviews and follow-ups. And if things are going in the wrong direction, then we obviously look at what we're doing and change. Are you saying that some CBD flower for inhalation with some microdosing of THC as an ingestion potentially is a way to go, or is it just very much patient to patient and 
Look, it's got, it's working got, with the treating psychiatrist to, to come up with something. It's got to be patient to patient, but THC for me is a standout in the cannabinoids for regulating sort of sleep, appropriate use of THC, inappropriate use of THC can disrupt sleep patterns and make sleep worse. Appropriate use of THC where you start at a subtherapeutic dose and slowly increase it to a point where you get a good night's sleep and you wake up refreshed. That's important. That would be an appropriate time to use THC in some of these individuals where it's specific, it's targeted. You use the lowest effective dose to achieve those sort of symptoms. You're not disrupting the whole internal regulatory system. If they have some other, this what we need to consider as well with these patients is that they don't, they're unlikely to just have, they're not a person with schizophrenia or a person with bipolar. They are a person that has complex needs, complex issues. They often are going to have a whole range of other conditions as well. And sometimes medicine containing THC will be the most appropriate option for these other debilitating symptoms that they might have. And so this is where it's, I think, really difficult to work in the black and white. It's not reality. We need to be looking at everything in this. There's a time and a place for, for everything. And it always needs to go through that sort of lens of the endocannabinoid system. Are we supporting it? Are we helping it? and look at that risk benefit. If there's a slight risk of a mania or psychotic sort of episode, but with appropriate safety netting, but the benefits potentially massive in regards to improving pain, quality of life, and a whole range of other things, then you've got to make that call with the patient in front of you with their complete understanding and informed consent around that and the safety netting with their other clinicians. And then, yeah, these patients will often come, I'm assuming, with a psychiatrist or a treating psychologist. And so would you, in all instances, be informing them of what you're prescribing these patients? Yeah, look, that's the, the most appropriate thing to do in these cases, but it's not always the case that they're coming in with, after informing their psychologist or psychiatrist, a lot of these patients, sorry, a lot of these patients are, are self-medicating and finding benefit from it against the against the advice of their psychiatrist they're using it anyway and they're finding benefit from it and they're wanting to find a way to use it medicinally and and legally and so we need to take into account those patient experiences but we need to make sure that we are the ones who are making sure that the use of cannabis is done appropriately in 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 an, in an appropriate way for these individuals sounds a little complex to be honest <laughs> it is very complex that's probably why you need a really good understanding of it. And you certainly don't want doctors who are just ticking and flicking cannabis prescriptions. That's right. And look, it, it, it takes time. It takes experience. It takes, you need to become comfortable with these types of things. And once again, I'm available to talk it through and look at that individual case and, and provide some, a sounding board and recommendations for any clinicians who are wanting some help with these patients. Last one, Jim, we'll put the link up and please feel free to reach out. If you've got any questions for Jim, make sure you send them through and we'll be happy to pass Jim anything. Thanks, Sam. See you, Jim.